0: Well, last Sunday um, was heavy, right? I mean, um, I guess I um, came across a little bit strong and maybe, maybe it sounded like I was thinking poorly of you. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and apologize if that's how you felt, um, because I could not think more highly of this church than I do. One of the things that happens sometimes is that people take something personally when uh, it probably needed to be heard by somebody else. Um, so at any rate, I never, I never want to discourage anyone. Uh, Conviction is one thing; discouragement's another. So, if you felt discouraged, I, I am sorry for that. Um, having said that, I, I cannot apologize for the truths that I shared, um, because I am completely convinced that God led me to share them to this church at this time. It was one of those sermons, you know. It wasn't just. The next thing in the scripture, it's always is God speaking to us. But this was, this was something that I, I believe God uh, wanted me to share. So that part I can't apologize for. Pastorally speaking, I felt the need to lay some groundwork last Sunday to prepare your minds and hearts. And while my intentions were to refrain from sharing anything else on that note for a while, as I prayed about it this week, I felt the Lord leading me to go ahead and share the rest of the story. (laughs) From my earliest talks with our original core team and throughout my earliest sermons here, I shared my deep sense of calling to lead our church, to plant churches in the Northwest. But more than that, I could not begin to count the times when I have shared both with leadership and with all of you that I personally have a very specific calling to plant Multiple churches, not just one church. I've repeatedly shared that I very well may go and plant a third church someday. From the beginning, uh, I think a few people thought that was inspiring, but the uh, assumption may have been that I would never really go as long as things were going well here. In reality, it's the opposite. I could not go during COVID. I could not go during a certain staff crisis we went through. I could not go until this church was fully developed, healthy, and thriving. Perhaps I could not go until some of you came. Does that make sense? God, we knew we needed you here. (laughs) to strengthen this body so that one day I could be sent out to start another church just as I was sent out from my last church. Last week I talked about the purpose of each individual local church to expand God's kingdom on earth by making more disciples and ultimately by making more disciple-making churches. Where do we get this idea? Is this just some crazy idea Pastor Mark has? No, we get it from the Great Commission of Christ, And from what we see actually done by the early church. Which is recorded in the book of Acts so that we would have a model. By the way, I would recommend that for your reading this next week. Just read the book of Acts. Jesus apparently articulated his commission to the church in different ways at different times. And different biblical writers recorded different versions of what he said. As Mark put it, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Or as Luke put it, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And As Matthew put it, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the commands which I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is where we got the name for our church mostly, and this is the call of Christ upon each of His followers to go wherever He leads and do what? Make disciples. As a church, we are called to this mission together. And this is the primary point of any church as can be seen throughout the New Testament. The call of Christ is not so much about what we do for the expansion or growth of our own individual church. Each church is a tool for kingdom expansion, not the end in itself. We exist to advance the kingdom of God on earth, and we do this by making more disciples. But even better, by making more disciple-making churches, which is precisely what the original Christ followers were all about We must listen and take personally these words from Jesus. His call, which by the way has a geographical connotation that means not only going somewhere beyond our own church, but beyond even our own community. Jesus uses phrases like all the world and all nations, which means all people groups. Ta ethne, panta ta ethne in the Greek means all different kinds of people, different people groups. And he defined mission fields emanating out from a home base, local, regional, and global. In other words, the call of Christ is to go out and send out more than it is to stay home and keep close. Now, how did the early church interpret such commands? How did they apply them? How did they obey this call? They did it by sending out missionaries, more often referred to as church planters in our day, which is fine since that is actually what missionaries did. So, individual churches sent out these missionaries, in most cases, teams, actually, to make a few disciples in a town nearby or a town far away, to see a few converts to Christianity, form a group there to get a church started so that those churches could then reach their communities and later multiply by sending out teams as well, all for the ultimate purpose of seeing more and more people become followers of Jesus Christ, thereby expanding the kingdom of God. On earth, ultimately, we do not plant churches so that there can be another church here or there. It was never about just having a church at each location, but about making disciples everywhere they could. We plant churches so that through multiplication and reproduction, more people will be brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We plant churches so that people in the community where that church will be can become disciples and be baptized and be taught to obey the commands of Christ, including this very command to go. We plant churches because churches are uniquely qualified to accomplish this very specific mission of Christ on earth in an exponential way to seek and to save that which is lost locally, regionally, and globally. Now, look with me at the first biblical example of a church that began to plant multiple churches. And to be clear, we should definitely aspire to be like this church, the church at Antioch. Look with me at Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, starting with verse 1. Luke records, Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. Stop for a moment and Think about this. This was an early way to refer to those who later began to be called pastors or preachers or even elders or overseers. And notice that there were several of these. They were a team at this church in Antioch. Next Luke names some of them Barnabas and Simeon who was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, which is Paul just so you know. Saul is a Hebrew version of The Greek name Paul. While they, that being the church, were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Now stop right there for a moment. Consider this. Who called them? The Holy Spirit called them. But now look who set them apart? The church. And what had to happen for all of this to work out right? Well, both those being sent out and those doing the sending needed to recognize what God was clearly doing. They all needed to listen to what the Holy Spirit was saying. This was something they did together. Not the type of situation where the church would have said something like, fine, whatever. No. This is why I preached what I preached last week and again today. Too many churches are self-focused in our era And when someone wants to plant another church, at best their attitude is this oh, okay, sure, I guess if we can't stop you, go ahead. No, instead the church acknowledged that God was clearly in it, that this was the very way they got their church in the first place, since somebody starts every church. And they realized that this all fit within Christ's call and the pattern of kingdom advancement which he had set forth. They could see that these men were qualified. That the Holy Spirit was leading, and so they sent them out with their blessing and undoubtedly their provision. Reading on from verse 3. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, let's think about this some more. First, note that the laying on of hands was a biblical way for the church to acknowledge God's calling on someone's life. So, clearly, the church agreed. And then in a very physical and visible way, they affirmed God's calling, even though it was going to cost them dearly. They affirmed the idea that two of their very best leaders were being called by God to go out and plant churches, which by the way, is exactly what they proceeded to do. You probably have a heading in your Bible that labels this Paul's first missionary journey. But what did they actually go out on mission to do? You can read for yourself that what they actually did was to plant new churches both nearby and far away, as I'll show you in just a moment. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, this is only the beginning, of course. This was the initial sending of Saul, again, Paul, and Barnabas. So, Paul and Barnabas were sent out as missionary church planters from the church at Antioch, and they didn't stop with one or even two churches. But they wound up getting multiple churches planted, again, in areas fairly nearby, as well as areas far away. They went out from a home base, ascending church, a very supportive church, where they had been pastors. And God made sure that church went down in history as one of the first of many churches to plant more churches. Now, let's skip ahead in the story to chapter 14, verse 21. Verse 21. The rest is good too. I just don't have time to read the whole thing. And we're kind of skipping to the end. And this is going to be kind of a repeat of what had been happening already, as if we were to read the whole thing. And it wraps it up. Luke records chapter, four, or, uh, chapter 14, verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. Stop right there. What did they go out and do in another city? They preached the gospel and made many disciples. Actually, they did this in several cities. And this verse is about the final city where they preached on this particular journey, that being Derby, which was the easternmost church planted for some time. It was out on the edge, out on the outer rim. In other words, this city where they preached the gospel and made disciples was on the edge of the Christian frontier. And they planted a church right there. After this, Paul and Barnabas reversed their journey to stop by And see how the brand new churches they had just started, just planted, were doing. Reading on. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. By the way, a different Antioch. This would have been Pisidian Antioch, not Antioch of Syria from where they had been sent out. It's a different Antioch. And what exactly did they do in these cities when they stopped on their way back home? Verse 22 strengthening the souls of these new disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So, these were groups of new disciples, a.k.a. church plants, and they were located in each of these cities to whom the church planters were returning in order to preach the word a little bit more, encouraging them to continue the mission. And now look at what else they did, verse 23 when they had appointed elders for them in every church having prayed with fasting they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed notice the Bible says that these were churches the ones they had just recently planted and now leaders are being identified for each church so to be clear I'm not bending uh, anything around to say that the missionary journey was all about planting churches That's exactly what it was. By the way, isn't it incredible to think of all these new outposts for Jesus and all of these towns far outside the promised land? God was really doing exactly what He said He was going to do in multiplying His kingdom, and He was using Paul and Barnabas and their team to do it. What could be more exciting? Now, as I've explained many times in the Bible, elders are pastors and pastors are elders. So, when you read about elders being appointed Or when you read about overseers or pastors, you're reading about exactly the same people serving in the same leadership role in the church. And so the point today is that during the course of church planting, the original planters essentially ordained pastors to assume leadership of each church plant, those who would be preaching and teaching in their absence, since they themselves were moving on to plant still more churches. Now, I'm sure every single one of those churches would have liked for Paul and Barnabas, the initial church planters to stay and pastor them forever, wouldn't you think? For sure, the church at Antioch was paying to lose them, but nobody was able to keep them because they had been sent out on mission for Christ. In the Bible, founding pastors or church planters didn't stay. Not in the Bible. Just not there. In fact, the longest Paul ever stayed in a church was not even three years. No, he didn't stay, but he did Appoint elders, pastors in every church. That's what it says. Reading on, verse 24. They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. So they came back. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report. What a joy. All things that God had done with them. And how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Can you imagine the rejoicing and the celebration of the people of the original sending church, the church at Antioch, once they heard that by their giving and by their sending out Paul and Barnabas with a team of others, that people had come to Christ in other places, and even that new churches had been planted. They had been pretty sure the Holy Spirit had led them to send out these missionary church planters, but now they're fully affirmed because of the results, because of the fruit. Do you think they did not realize that it had been worth the sacrifice, worth what they had given up, in order to see more outposts set up for the advancement of God's kingdom on earth, in order to see more disciples made for Christ in other cities besides their own? Maybe you haven't thought of sending out Paul and Barnabas as something that was particularly difficult for the church at Antioch. Well, have you tried putting yourself in their position? What if you had been a member of the Antioch church? Several pastors are listed, but does anyone really think Saul or Paul wasn't, in their minds at least, the best one they had? Was Paul ever not the main leader? Was he ever not, you know, was he not a great preacher? Were they not a stronger church with Paul at the helm? Were they not counting on him to lead them into the future? I mean, this guy was actually an apostle, he was an apostle like only 11 other guys. Who had originally been with Jesus, Paul had been set apart by Christ himself in person on the road to Damascus. Clearly, they had to be very unselfish to send the apostle Paul out with their blessing. And What about Barnabas? He was known as the encourager. And this man was, he's a sweetheart of a man. Everybody's favorite. He was a lover of souls. He was there for people. He checked on them. He prayed for them. Based on what scripture says, I just bet Barnabas was one of the neatest guys you'd ever want to meet. There's no doubt the church weighed the loss of Paul in terms of his teaching and his leadership, but for the loss of Barnabas, they cried. The church at Antioch let go of their best people, folks, just like in Ezekiel 17, 22, a prophecy about the church of Jesus Christ where it says that the top of the cedar would be broken off and planted someplace else, eventually growing until birds of every kind will find shade under the shadow of its branches. Still, who wants to lose the top of their favorite cedar? And it wasn't just Paul and Barnabas going out. As I mentioned, we, we know for a fact that the team, a team went along with them. Their names aren't mentioned in this spot. But Paul always had a cohort, cohort of incredible leaders. The folks like Luke, uh, he was the one writing this, the Acts account. So we know he was with them. John Mark wrote one of the Gospels. He was with them. Somebody from Antioch church says, What? They're taking Luke and Mark too? So, yes, Antioch had opened their hands and they had sent out some of their best people to plant churches in other cities to answer the commission and the call of Christ. See, Antioch understood what Jesus had in mind for his church. Now, for the record, the church of Antioch didn't languish without those leaders either. Not at all. Now, history records that Antioch became the strongest church and the most blessed church in the region. I wonder why. Because the kingdom of God is backwards. As Jesus made clear in his preaching that those who try to hang on are the ones who lose the most. And those who give receive even more. And so, without further suspense, I am telling you that Christy and I have heard from God. We are being called to go out and plant again. In the analogy, Christy falls in as Barnabas, and I guess that makes me that old meanie, Paul. Now, obviously, my wife's not really Barnabas, and I should not even be mentioned in the same sentence with the apostle Paul. But we do continue in the same kind of calling and role that Jesus placed upon their lives. For the record, that role is still very much needed for the kingdom. What role is that? The role of missionary church planners. Now before I go on, hear me say something to ease the tension. Christy and I are not leaving anytime soon. We are not on the way out of this church at this moment. I'm not resigning today. We believe a lengthy off-ramp is needed to ensure the continued health of this church. And I'm not not talking about weeks or even months. So please keep listening. I want to tell you that there's never been a time in our history at Go Church when God left me alone about His call on my life to plant yet another church after this one. I started talking about this from day one as often as Christy would allow it. And so there have been many moments when I wondered if it was time to go. But in the last two years, a location became apparent. And that's when I knew the time was coming. It's always the same. First, there's my general calling to plant churches. And then there's a feeling it's almost time again. And then there's a location. That location is basically East Clackamas County. And specifically the general area around Boring, Damascus, and the eastern part of Happy Valley, Oregon. This area is about 45 minutes away and in the, quote, wrong direction, which ensures that not too many people, if any, will follow us. (laughs) Relative to Portland, Ridgefield is to the north. This area where we are going next is the east. And so if it's God's plan for Go Network to surround Portland, we will be halfway there with this next effort. Meanwhile, I would say go PDX is already right in the middle. But still, somebody asks, why there? That's what everyone always asks. Why there? That's what they asked about Ridgefield. And I can tell you a million reasons, such as the fact that only 7% of the people in that area, 7% of the people in that area are connected to even a slightly biblical church. You thought there were a lot of churches there. Seven percent of the population of Happy Valley attends church regularly. I could also tell you the east side of Portland Metro is the fastest growing area in Oregon. I can tell you that our denomination had a church plant that died there recently. So there's kind of a gaping hole. I could mention that I know of a family who lives there has a heart to join the effort, and I could go on, but none of those stats or facts led, a, led us down there at all, not in the slightest. Ironically, I found those things out later. Some of you know that Tori, our daughter, now teaches full-time in a Christian school in Damascus, in that area. Well, guess what? I had already been called to plant there and told several people about it. Before that happened, it was like yet another sign. God led us to this location through prayer and by His Word. I really can't explain that any more than I can explain His call to Ridgefield. What I can tell you is that this call has been confirmed over and over and over as we've paused and waited and heard again and again over the last two years plus. I have a running journal entry chronicling the myriad ways that God has spoken. But those moments and whisperings wouldn't prove anything to anyone, of course. I can't prove God's call because it's about faith. In the end, we just know because we pray a lot and God leads. I could tell you several neat little stories. Some are fairly profound, but I won't take time for that today except for one. Before I tell you this story, I want to remind you of what I said. We are not leaving go Ridgefield anytime soon. While we are going to start the groundwork on the new plant, and frankly that's been happening already because God has just been dragging us along, even in light of what I'm about to say, we will see you on Sundays and whenever else you need us for a long time. More on that later. So, here's the one story that I will share today. Early last summer, I got so riled up about uh, this ongoing call to plant near Happy Valley. And believe me, I was annoying to my family. I mean, riled up. So riled up that one morning as we were having our quiet times, I came in and interrupted Christy in her chair. She has her quiet time in a chair in the living room. I have mine in bed. As a rule, I spend my dedicated time with God before my feet hit the ground. It's just kind of a a way of being disciplined for me. And maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but for for both of us, um, these times alone every day are usually at least an hour, sometimes much longer. We do spend a lot of time with God. But one day, I came in and interrupted Christy saying, I'm sorry, but God has made it clear. I said, honey, I'm not saying I think or I feel like anymore, I'm saying, I know. After she stopped crying, we talked some more. Now, I knew better than to try to drag my wife into a church plant, so I knew that God needed to speak to her. And just for the record, eventually, he spoke just as clearly to Christy as he has to me, and you can ask her about that. But that was fairly recently. Back to last summer, we decided to try a fleece. You know, like Gideon... When he asked God to prove that he was really calling him to go and do something that seemed utterly foolish. And to be clear, we don't do fleeces often. I'm not even sure we've ever done one before this. But we decided to put our house on the market as a fleece. I had the idea that the peak time to sell was passing. This was about June. Which, of course, I was right. And so we said, let's set the price ridiculously high. And we won't sell it for one penny less than asking price. If God sells it without lowering the price, we will go. And I mean, we signed in blood, figuratively, of course. We said, if God does this, we are going, period. After that, we got scared, even me. We were a little bit like, what in the world are we thinking? So we decided to put another limit on it. We said, one month. Toward the end of that month, someone offered us just under asking price, 10000 below, which is nothing on a house. We declined. Our real estate agent hated us, I feel sure. We didn't even counter. In fact, at that point, we were scared to death and hoping to go through the month without selling the house. So the month passed, and nobody offered full asking price, which frankly would have been more than the house was worth. The only thing about all that is that we didn't originally tell God we would, do, we would go if, he, if the house sold in a month. We added that in fear. This thought nac- nagged at me. But still, we took the house off the market. We canceled the listing. We took a deep breath and told ourselves God had spoken, that we did not have to go. <sighs> Huge relief. Huge relief. A couple months later, I became deeply convicted. I mean, I was in tears. I told Christy that we had not done this right, that I still felt the call to go, that we shouldn't have quit on the house listing early. She didn't really agree, I don't think. But I prayed a very heartfelt prayer to God. In fact, I was fasting, which we often do in times like these, and I begged God to give me another chance. I was so afraid that I'd taken a wrong turn That I asked the Lord to please bring a buyer offering full price, even without our house being on the market, just out of the blue, if He really wanted us to go. A few days later, someone tracked down our house from back when it had been for sale and got our names online. They found me on the church website and sent an instant message through the church account to Facebook. Once they reached us, they offered us what amounted to full price. For our house, we actually did even better than we would have before because now we didn't have a real estate agent to pay. That was last fall, after the market had completely frozen and prices were down. But that didn't stop God from making it happen. We sold our house in October. But God also provided time for us to process. The people who bought our house wanted to rent it back to us, and that's what we've been doing. We are currently renting the house we once owned. I wish I could tell you that from that moment we've been committed to doing what we said we would do if God sold our house for full price. Unfortunately, the truth is, for a while we balked. We thought maybe this wasn't all that clear. Maybe this wasn't God speaking after all. But of course, in the end, we couldn't deny that God had spoken. We knew in our hearts that God had answered my prayer, giving us another chance to obey. I could go on from there. The Lord has made our paths straight. He has opened other doors. Things have progressed. I suppose it was a month or two ago when Christy heard clearly from God. Maybe a month since we committed ourselves to this call. But now that you know all that recent history, I wanted to rewind and share a little bit more of my story. For the record, I have shared this before many times, but you may not have heard it the same way as you will now. I'll add that if you have arrived since COVID, you've heard this less because I've been sensitive to the rebuilding that we've needed to do. At any rate, I've shared this publicly more than once, and here it is. Before we started this church plants, during my last year in my previous church in Longview, I spent 40 days praying and fasting in a more intense way than usual. Two things came out of that very powerful season of prayer. For me, first, I received clarification of my calling. I distinctly felt God leading me that I am not destined to pastor any established church, nor am I destined to climb the ladder or follow a career path to larger churches, nor am I called to be the guy who plants but then stays and builds a church for decades, making it bigger and better. Some people are called to that, but not me. I will also tell you that because of what God has done here and in my last church and the one before, I have been presented with amazing opportunities while I've been here. I could have handed off the baton and moved on To what some would have considered greater opportunities. I have not done so because of what God said to me in that season of prayer that I mentioned. Maybe you'd like to know what God said. Before we planted this church, in the stillness of my heart, in one of those five or six times in my life when I know that I know that I know that God spoke, He said, um, I'm going to get a drink. God said, remember when you were a little boy and you walked to the front of the church and you told the church that you were called to be a missionary? I said, yes, Lord, I remember. And God said, Mark, you got it right the first time. Some of you might be thinking that to be a missionary, you have to go to a foreign country. But biblically speaking, a missionary is a person who makes disciples, ultimately planting churches anywhere and everywhere, just like Paul. God was affirming to me that I am a church planter at heart, a beachhead builder, sent out from one battlefront to another, like a Marine for the cause of Jesus, a first-to-go missionary who will plant multiple churches right here in our own country where the need is greater all the time. Will we stop with three? I don't know. We'll see. So that was the first thing that God did during those 40 days of prayer. He clarified my calling. I'm not called to stay i be a long-term pastor to an established church. Sometimes I wish I could be that guy, of course. Sometimes I try to talk myself back into it. But the fact is that I'm called to plant churches. And folks, whether you remember it or not, I have shared this with you many times since day one. I also will admit that at times I also said, maybe I can do this from here somehow. Guess whose idea that was? That was a good idea. I I mean, I I wanted it to work. And so I said, maybe. But the the truth is that God has never affirmed that. Instead, he's not left me alone for more than a week or two over the last two plus years constantly. I mean, constantly has reminded me of the call. After clarifying my calling to plant churches, which again happened before this plant, God also gave me a vision for a network of churches called Go Network, as you may know, Go Network has begun to sprout. Currently, GoNet consists of Go Church Ridgefield, Go Iglesia, Woodland, which is really starting to do well. Praise the Lord. They're really getting some traction. They, they, I'm just so excited about that. And then Go Church PDX in the heart of Portland, which is also doing well, though they did move their launch back to uh, this fall, which was wise. These are all autonomous churches Committed to multiplication, connected by birth. By the way, I did not intend to hurt anyone's feelings last week when I mentioned my disappointment that nobody officially joined Dustin's team. I probably should not have said that. Lots of you have been involved and helped them in various ways, and that is something to be commended. I just wanted you to understand that, you know, what I've said so many times that we celebrate those we send out that if you thought I was trying to keep you, if I would have been upset if you went with him, it's the other way around. That's what I was trying to communicate. That's, to the, that's the kind of missional church we aspire to be, that, that we celebrate those we send out more than even those we keep. Multiplication is one of our core values. It means sending people out on mission for Christ. All that to say that the Go Church family network is off to a good start, and so I've certainly heard the sentiment Can't you just stay and keep sending out others? That suggestion has been made to me repeatedly over the last five years. And believe me, I've tried to make it work. I promise you my wife wishes that could be true. And if you don't think I also wish it were so, you've not fully considered what I'm laying down and giving up. This is the best church I have ever been a part of. I risk some of the other churches hearing that. Sorry, guys. It's just the truth. And it's because of you. This is the most encouraging church I've ever pastored. And frankly, the most beautiful example of a church plant that I have ever seen. I'm loved and I love you. On the fleshly side... I make good money. Will the new church be able to pay me what I make now? I don't know. Here in Ridgefield, I'm respected, I'm liked, I'm honored. And see, I'm laying all of that down to try to start over mostly with people who don't even know me yet. I'm older now. I think I don't know that? I can't rely on my good looks. My physical stamina anymore, folks. I'm weaker and more wrinkled. From out there, maybe you don't see it. Just get a little closer. I'll take my glasses off. be like, you are old. (laughs) I'm not as good as I once was. Toby Keith. Even once. I can't just put it all on my shoulders anymore. You know, the physical stuff especially. Can't even put it on my my son's shoulders because he's not going. He's staying. so listen, what I'm about to do, there's realistically a high chance of failure. Unless God does miracles, just like he did this time. Why wouldn't I stay and thrive and enjoy what God has helped us to build? This church is going places. And yes, I absolutely believe 100% this church is going to be going places with or without me. Ridgefield is booming, and this church will boom right along with it whether I'm here or not. So if you think I can step away from all this without God practically forcing my hand, you are quite wrong. It's not easy to walk away, not at all. I fall on my knees when I read scriptures like Mark 8, 34 through 38, where Jesus made it clear that to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and lay down our lives and go where he leads. Leaving behind houses and fathers and mothers and children and grandchildren and friends, and success, and basically everything that comforts us and makes us feel valuable. This is very, very real for us right now. I've been hearing from God for over two years, and honestly, I'm not sure whether I was putting him off or just waiting for the right time, but God has spoken clearly, repeatedly over a long season of waiting patiently and receiving repeated confirmation from him. God has spoken both to me and my wife with crystal clarity, and he's calling us to go. Now, that said, he is also calling us to go in a healthy way, in a way that ensures that, he, that all he has done here will endure and advance. We're not leaving this church to survive on its own. We're not suddenly abandoning you and hoping you find a way to make it. Frankly, that's basically what Paul did, but we're not being led to do that. No, instead, a very lengthy and carefully thought out transition plan starts today. <clears throat> By the way, the last church plant I left is still thriving 10 years later. They bought a building and even built another building after I left. That's my track record. I never, I've never planted a church that not, did not do well after I left, and I do not intend to tarnish that record. Let me explain how this will work. Since I have done this multiple times, I know that the early stages of church planting can be done behind the scenes and on the side. Truth is, I've been working some angles on this church plant for months. It's like a hobby, okay? On my day off, I do church plant stuff. Just, I can't think of anything else to do. And so even while I'm starting to turn over some spiritual soil down south, I will continue to serve as lead pastor here through the end of 2023, so the better part of a year. And then even as 2024 begins, while I will begin to shift a little bit, taking a decrease in pay, switching to the title of founding pastor, as I hand off the baton to a lead pastor, a new lead pastor, I will nonetheless continue to preach regularly in this church and provide counsel and advice to the next pastor to whatever degree is needed for all of 2024. In other words, I plan to preach regularly here for most of the next two years, should the, should the Lord tarry. By the way, I'm not at all convinced that He will tarry, but I want to be found faithful when He comes. Now, practically speaking, how can I continue to do all that here while still planting a church down there? Well, first of all, I have a system that I've developed in the school of hard knocks, Um, and you'll just have to believe me that I can do it. Besides, for the rest of this year, the kind of things I'll be doing for the new plan are things that can be done in my spare time. As I said, it's like a hobby for me. Starting in January of 2024, it'll shift a little. We'll hopefully begin our weekly core team meetings down there, but those will happen on Sunday nights. And so we will continue to attend here and serve here on Sunday mornings, as well as to preach regularly in 2024, though over time I will preach less and the new lead pastor will preach more, I will decrease and he will increase very gradually next year. Bottom line, I'm going to be around. Better yet, Christy's going to be around. I'm going to be preaching and leading and guiding things for the rest of this year and all of the next year. That's the plan. Now, a lot can happen in two years. For example, I believe that one of your current pastors will develop during that time, and my hope is that even by this next January, you'll embrace that pastor to take on the role of lead pastor, albeit with my ongoing help and as much of my preaching as seems best. I'll go ahead and tell you that I personally have come to believe that Pastor Connor can be ready to lead you with my help starting next year. Now, this will not be forced upon you. And per our bylaws, the pastor-elder team will need to officially recommend this, and then you'll get to vote on it near the beginning of next year. In other words, that leaves the rest of this year to see how things go. And yes, Connor will be preaching about once a month going forward. He'll be deciding, he'll be deciding during the rest of this year. I fully believe that with coaching from me, along with his excellent work ethic, And with this year of indispensable experience, we're going to see a caterpillar become a butterfly. And I believe Connor's able to take that because he's humble. Everybody agrees he's off to a great start. I think he's going to be a great preacher with practice. Can I just tell you that he's way better than I was at his age? Don't take my word for it. Ask my mom. I've heard her tell people. (laughs) And it's true. So, I believe this will be a healthy transition plan, but I'll even do one better. Even when we get to 2025, and after the public launch of the new church, and even though I'll be busy on Sunday mornings at that point, I hope to remain on the pastor elder team here in a support role as founding pastors, though unpaid, founding pastor, unpaid, but in order to keep a loving hand on things and to help a young pastor is needed, especially so that if a crisis or a huge opportunity would surface, I can help. I also plan even from 2025 by invitation to preach occasionally in order to keep our relationship strong. We may even swap pulpits for a series here and there, and why not? It's a family network of churches. In other words, we're not going to leave you for the better part of two years, and in some ways, we're not completely leaving you that I know of ever. How can this work, you might ask? I thought pastors had to leave all the way, let the next guy take control without his influence. You're thinking of established churches, which we are not. And besides that, we're talking about a network of churches called Go Church Family Network. We are talking about the founder of that network continuing to have a role in the founding church of that network. We're going to be a family of churches, and we're going to stay connected. I also think this can work, particularly due to the fact that hopefully the person I'll be handing this off to has been a part of Go Church from the beginning, the earliest core group meetings, believes deeply in the vision has been discipled from the ground up by the founder of it. And of course, because he happens to be my son. That's how I see it working. By the way, besides God and besides my wife and me, if you want to know who has made this church happen, it's Connor and his family. I don't want to take anything away from others, but I think that's factually true. You should know that outside of kids and youth ministry, Connor's already overseeing just about everything in this church. He's the go-to guy. He's the person you call, not me. He's the person in charge of just about everything already. Oops. In all honesty, I tried to give it to somebody else. Remember, and it didn't quite work out. I was falling to Connor at this point. It's just the way it worked out. It's the way God's led. And it is just my, my method. It's just in me to delegate myself out of a job. It's just what I do. It's because of what I'm, how I'm called. It's also biblical. My job is to equip people, to raise people up, to hand it off, not to do it all myself. Ephesians four ten through 13. Now, I'll reiterate that this Connor taking over eventually part is not guaranteed. Both you and he will have a decision to make down the road. I'm just telling you what I believe will be a healthy pathway for this church to continue to thrive. What can you count on? What can you count on from what I've said? I am wrapping up. What you can count on, Christy and I are going to begin our mission work in Oregon behind the scenes. At the same time, we're going to continue to be here on Sundays and available to you whenever you need us. I'll also continue to do most or a lot of the preaching for the next two years. I believe this long off-ramp will be a healthy way to transition from Paul to Apollos, as it were, or perhaps I should say from Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. And again, yes, I know I'm not the Apostle Paul, but I do have this calling. And we're talking about how one plants, another waters, while only God gives the increase. For the record, I hope to start off with a Timothy or a Titus or two or three from the beginning in my next church. My biggest prayer that that person or those people are there so that we can multiply. Now, I've been transparent perhaps a few weeks earlier than I wanted to. I wanted to get past Easter before I told you all this, but God just led me this week. It's just time. We just need to just get it out there. I know you're going to need to process. You may not be happy about it right now, and um, I still love you if you never can see that God has called us to do this. I love you, and I love this church. As I close, I just want to say that none of what I've shared changes anything in the near future. Next Sunday, we'll focus on the cross and take communion as a church. The Sunday after that, it's Easter. We'll celebrate the resurrection of Christ, the promise of our own. We're sending out thousands of postcards, and I hope you invite your neighbors. My wife is leading the women in a prayer emphasis to prepare for what God may do on Easter Sunday. We have tons going on. Nothing is stopping. We'll probably have the biggest crowd we ever had Easter. Not that that's the point, but let's be honest, it's going to be fun. Fill this place up, and there'll be people here who've never heard or never understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be praying about Easter. Be inviting people. After that, I'm probably going to start a new series through Mark. Continuing to make plans. Nothing changes. I promise you, I'm not going to stop leading this particular church forward anytime soon. The baton will be handed off gradually because I realize that the stronger this church becomes the better sea will serve as a beachhead for further expansion. We're not only going to survive, we're going to thrive. I really do believe that God is going to bless our open hands just as he's done so far. We're going to see the Holy Spirit break down walls. God is going to work. He is going to do great things among us, amazing things. Let's keep our eyes on the prize, our high calling in Christ to be all that he wants us to be as individuals and as a church. Would you pray with me? Father, I know this is tough, uh, tough news. can be shocking. Lord, I just pray for your comfort, for your Holy Spirit to bring an assurance and an understanding that this church, as I said last week, does not depend on me. It depends on you. And I really do believe that the vast majority of people in this room know that very well. And that the response will be faith and trust. I really do. But for maybe a few that have trouble, I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak clearly. That we can have unity and understanding that you are working, that this was your plan all along, and that you are the one who made this church all that it is, and you are the one who will make it all that it is supposed to be. And we can trust in you completely. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for having plans for us that you planned before time, works that you would have us do, a masterpiece you would have us build and become. I can't wait for the next few months of this church. I believe we're going to keep growing. We'll be a different church by the time this all even comes to fruition. And you have us firmly in your hands. We trust you. And God, for anyone in this room who's just completely uh, lost in terms of what I've been saying, uh, maybe somebody here that that doesn't know, you know really, honestly, Your Word. has uh, not read enough to know where these things come from. So excited that person's here, Lord, and hearing from Your Word today a little bit. And hope they come back next week and hear as we think about the cross and what it means and celebrate what You did for us there and Lord, thank you that um, you give us time to respond to your message. If there's anyone here, Lord, that wants to know more, I pray that you would reach out and just send me an email or come tap me on the shoulder and let me follow up. Thank you for all of your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.